Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line, Matt. It's, you know, things are looking up. I know you're excited, you know why? I think everyone should know why I'm excited, but today is a great, great day. Why don't you tell everyone what you're so excited about? Because today is opening day, and what? we have a 62 game schedule coming our way, <laughs> and we're just getting started. So Granky's going to tank the mound, and the adventure begins. Da da da! It is exciting. You know, spring is such a cool time because you know the weather starts to change. You know, the grass gets a little bit greener than it was over the winter time, and you can still, right now in March, go outside and it's not 105 degrees. So and. You know, hearing the sound of a ball hitting a bat is, you know, music to, I know, your ears. But one thing that's going to be a little different, Matt, do you think the new baseball is going to sound any different? I know it's not going to go as far, which is sadly, sadly depressing. I mean, it all remains to be seen. (laughs) Everything that happens and we'll just see, okay? Everybody adapts. (laughs) Yeah, it's all about adapting, which I still don't understand why. If anything, they should have... I think it was like the first layer of wool is looser now or something. I would have just made it tighter so we can start hitting more home runs. It's going to be even harder here in Houston with the humidity. I mean, maybe in Colorado, they'll be okay with it, but I don't know. We'll see. They said I I was hearing something on, I forget what I was listening to, but they said on average, the ball will go like a foot and a half or a foot less in distance. I don't know how they got that. I don't know if they know either, but... You know, I remember hearing Jeff Luno talk and when they were using the old balls in the minors, he's like, when we introduced them, we, we, like something's happening. He's like, we don't know why. And then, you know, some physicists did a whole computational fluid dynamics about stitching and all this other stuff. And it was, it was a study so complicated that I, I assume that you just have to be like, okay, that's, all right, maybe. Right. <laughs> we'll see. It's not going to stop Jordan Alvarez. No, he's, he'll crank him out as long as he can stay healthy and dialed in. I think he's got a good season ahead of him. Yes. And hopefully all the rest of them. But yes, to, you know, all of them. Talking about studies, actually, that ties right into what we're going to talk about today. I think a topic for, you know, for right now, I think, is something that it's apparent in what we do. And because we, every day there's always interesting things that we can either learn from, stuff that we want to capture. And so, you know, over time, I think we've done a great job you know, as a company to develop case histories, you know, it's something we can use to reference it's, it's information and technical literature that whether it's clients or internally can, can reference and, and hopefully learn from, but, you know, capturing, capturing data, capturing cases and putting them in an organized manner is extremely valuable, but sometimes, you know, do, do we try and, you know, squeeze as much out of something that may not be as exciting or really that important to create a case study? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I think that's what we're here to talk about and and really just kind of define what case histories are and case studies are, you know, a little bit of skepticism around it and, you know, what really makes a good case history. So Matt, for for those out there who may not be familiar with what I'm talking about, what are case histories? So, I mean, it's it's an example of, of using something. So typically it's a new technology, but it could even be, you know, a new technique or a method to, to solve a challenge. 
And so, you know, typically they, they describe the circumstance at which it was used, how much, you know, normally you try and put how many dollars were saved or days. I mean, that's, you know, at the end of the day, how you, how you demonstrate value, you know, but any solution, you want to talk about how, how it was actually solving a problem. And the, you know, the hard part there is, look, we're at the end of the day, we, we're all trying to sell, right? And I think yeah. what makes me a little cynical, I've been cynical anyways, but- Not you. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, the, the hard part for me is that I understand that pressure, but frankly, I get frustrated and disappointed when I read some of these case studies that tend to exaggerate or tend to not give the whole story. And part of my personal frustration is, you know- it's, it's one thing to, you know, demonstrate value. It's another thing to maybe not, probably not intentionally, but, but mislead someone into thinking something's better than it is and kind of, you know, all right, too late. You already bought it. (laughs) Right. I think it's always good, regardless of whether it's data or, you know, something you read on the news or even case studies, just because it's on print or, you know, on digital, always challenge it, you know, and not necessarily think that everything out there isn't telling the truth, but, you know, use your knowledge and, and, take an educated stab as like, okay, does this make sense? Is this, you know, is this correct? Is it, is it accurate? Is it, you know, because I think a lot of it is, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a way to market, you know, certain technologies or techniques and it just highlights performance and kind of says, Hey, you know, here's why we, you know, are, are, you know, a great mud company is because we are able to do X or Y, but certainly challenging the narrative of, of what it is, is, is good. And I mean, you know, I think we do a good job of it whenever we develop them, but, you know, would you say there are a lot of, a lot of times inherently sales driven and like, it sounds kind of like you said, like you're you know, a little bit cynical behind it, but how can we, like, what would be a right approach if someone comes across something, they click on the internet, like, are there any telltale signs or like, really, what would you, what would you say to avoid getting bamboozled, if you will? Well, I mean, one is if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. I think that's, that's probably where you start, where you know, a lot of sometimes technologies can solve big problems. Sometimes technologies actually force you to do something the right way. You know, an example, when I, when I was overseas, we were having a lot of issues with mud quality because the issue was they updated their cement, their casing program. So we no longer lost a bunch of mud during the cement jobs, which is great, right? You don't want to lose mud and you certainly don't want to lose mud during a cement job. So that was all great news. The problem was we had all this mud getting really, really tired and used over and over again. And it was decided that we needed a, you know, fragile gel mud system to solve this problem. Well, and everybody knows my feeling about that. And this was offshore, but it was shallow. There was no temperature gradient, nothing that really demonstrated you needed it, except for because you had those mud properties you had to meet to meet the definition of a fragile gel or, you know, low ECD mud, you now had to dilute. And so it wasn't that the mud was solving the problem. It was that now you had to meet these targets that you could do conventionally by just cleaning up the mud, but that, you know, that wasn't attractive. Right. And so, you know, we didn't, but we didn't publish anything on that. If, if I can recall, and it, it just goes back to one of those, you can make the argument, Oh, you know, this, this new mud solves cement job issues. Well, it's like, honestly, if we got back to decent engineering, if we got into those details, that's not what it was, but there's always that temptation. And, and, you know, going back to something being inherently sales driven, I think some of the more technical folks, they're typically the first people who take a run at this. And my experience in most places is you have a separate marketing department and they're supposed to, you know, clean it up, make it sound a little more exciting and attractive. 
And my experience of communicating with those folks was they don't understand anything we do and we don't understand anything they do. So <laughs> yeah. what happens is you argue back and forth. These revisions go, oh, you can't say it this way. That's the way the industry says it. Yeah, well, marketing says you got to do this. We don't use that unit. And you just go back and forth a bunch of times until their copy doesn't look anything like your copy. And then you basically end up breaking down and going back to your copy because you're adamantly arguing and you say, okay, fine, I'll let you, I'll let you use that salesy word. I'll let you make this pretty or that's not really what I was trying to sell it about, but okay. Yeah. And one way to get around that is talk to each other. So the great thing about AES is, you know, we're not big enough that we have all these departments, but you know, if Addy's helping us make it appear visually or, you know, more better verbiage or whatever, she's down the hall. We're all one department. So usually it's people who've, who've checked mud or understand the business. We're actually writing it and then putting it out, which I think is a little different for us. And I think it actually makes our case histories, you know, have a little more teeth. So I think that's, that's pretty important. The other thing is, I mean, just frankly, being honest, there's, there's this huge tendency to leave out a detail that might sort of undermine the rah, rah, rah part of it. Right. And I see this in technical conferences all the time. And I was actually <laughs> talking with our chief technology officer, Dave Horton, about this, where I was like, okay, what kind of question asker are you after the papers presented? Are you the one, are you careful? There are people who have reputations at these conferences to ask a question that undermines the entire premise of the paper. And it's sort of like, everybody knows it. It's like this case history. Oh, were you doing this? And if the person answers yes, then they're like, so actually your paper has no point. And we don't want to be mean. We don't want to be rude. Like I said, not all of this is malicious or intentionally deceptive, but, or do you take it offline, go approach the person? Hey, just kind of curious. Am I missing something here? But there are a lot of papers that people read the headline. It's attractive. It's exciting. And then it's, that was in case toll. That's why that worked. Or you know, <laughs> stuff like that, where it's like, that's a pretty important thing to mention. Right. Yeah. No, and I think it comes back to, I mean, you mentioned it, like, you know, a lot of times people have a tendency to leave out important details and something like that's a great example, you know? So, you know, we've talked about what we can look out for. Oftentimes it can be deceptive and, and maybe on purpose or not, it may just be internally a lack of communication. That's like, wait, we missed something pretty important here, but so on the flip side, like what really makes a good case history? What are some things that people can look out for, you know, when reading them or really just looking through different papers? What, what, what could they really key in on that would make them really understand that it's, you know, it is valuable and it's not deceptive. Communication is great. Like it's okay to be, to sell. That's not the problem. The challenge is, you know, tell a story, like, go ahead, tell a story, you know, problem setting solution. Where did the technology or tactic address the issue? But, you know, act like a reporter and not one of those that act like the way a reporter is supposed to act. We'll put it that way in case your gotcha. favorite new media outlet you don't believe lives up to it. But, you know, who, what, where, when, how, why, right? Like, yeah. make sure those things are clear. And, you know, that includes maybe something that, you know, yes, this happened or this was present. But, you know, the main thing to give it teeth is, Data, data, data. And you can communicate that visually with graphs. You can take pictures from lab tests. You know, one of the things we try and do is for, especially for new technology and trials or new applications, we'll send somebody out who isn't a mud engineer and we'll have them actually do 
you know, gather extra information. So the mud engineers can make sure everything, you know, they're not overburdened or being asked something they can't get you, but that we have more and more to provide. And that's where we get the best quality data to tell the most accurate story. Right. No, that, that's a great point. You mentioned being honest about limiting details. Can you elaborate on that? So I'll be honest. I was, I was doing a, a fairly elaborate study on geothermal drilling fluids, which I was on some geothermal wells a while ago in Indonesia. It was pretty amazing, but geothermal drilling fluids aren't that complicated. We might want to do an episode on that someday. But one of the interesting things was I was reading all these papers and they would say, oh, you know, this drilling fluid used in, you know, 500 degrees Celsius well. Anyways, it was like, okay, so I would, I would go look and you'd read the paper and yes, the well was that hot, but they went on total losses part of the way through and switched to water and drilled blind. Right. <laughs> and so you get credit for attendance, I guess, but those are the sort of things that I say, okay, let's, and I read like 30 or 40 papers and I came across this repeatedly. And it was like, wow, I just, did, I didn't know a polymer can hold up to that temperature. And then you go look and it's like, well, okay. Or perhaps they would say that, you know, an additive survived at this temperature, but it survived for an hour. And right. industry standard is a 16 hour hot roll, right? Mm-hmm. So it's fine to say that if, if you are very clear that, look, our, our standard for success was X and that is different than what everybody else uses, but say it, you know, so I've just run, a, run across a few of those, even with some other technologies that I used to be you know, heavily involved with, you know, reservoir drilling fluids are notorious for this. Water-based polymer carbonate drilling fluids have been around for 25 years. Nothing has changed. <laughs> it's okay to present a case history on application for that, but it makes me get even more cynical when you say, look, this stuff's been around for a long time. What did you do different? And they never make that clear. So you know, make sure those, those details are there. I think the temptation to be broad is that I know from this, maybe my own personal fear or bias is I've encountered situations where I've learned a customer will say, Oh, well, why don't, why don't we try this? And I'll be like, Oh no, that's not what we designed it for. And they're like, well, we're going to do it anyways. And they do it. It's like, Oh, that was a really good application. And so you don't want to rule those things out and say, Oh, it, it did really well in this niche. But I feel like I have way too many conversations with customers that get really excited about a technology. Afrons, I'm looking at you, where <laughs> you know, someone gets really excited and then you explain, well, look, it, it fit this really narrow window. And like, yeah, it's a solution for a problem, but that's not the problem we're talking about. And, and oh my gosh, cesium formate. If you read about cesium formate, it will tell you that it solves every problem in the world. But a barrel of it costs about the cost of a small family car, you know, it's just, it's good stuff, but it's definitely, you know, aggressively promoted and it solves a great problem. It is a chloride zinc free, clear fluid for, you know, high temperature applications at high density. Like there is nothing wrong with explaining any of those things because those are all very true. But when you say this is the best thing since sliced bread under all circumstances, there's no one silver bullet. I think we try and emphasize that all the time. Right. And so it disappoints me when I see these things. I try and not directly call anybody out or badmouth anybody because look, we're all, we have a job to do. We're trying to sell, but I think we can all do better. And so hopefully, you know, one thing Justin, you and I have talked about is let's present some case histories on episodes and, and get 
you know, pretty specific about the, the problem and the solution and how we think a technology or, or technique solves a problem. Yeah. So those are things that make a good case history. <laughs> there you go. Again, I think it was important to talk about. And again, any case history typically highlights a certain technology or technique that, that again, it's something that we always say. There's, it's a tool in the toolbox. But just be mindful of, you know, what you're reading, challenge the narrative. And, you know, if you are interested in case studies, you know, obviously we've got a number that we've collected over the years and we're going to continue to do so. And so, you know, if any of the listeners, you know, especially mud engineers out there are interested in different, you know, case histories on certain, whether it's areas or applications or products, you know, certainly reach out. Matt, do you have any closing last words? I just thought of something I would share. Beyond just do. The, these technologies are a tool in the toolbox and we wanted to find the tool and is it a hammer and nail going together? Is it a wrench and a bolt? But I think one thing to keep in mind as much as I say, okay, yeah, we're selling. When you present a case history, whether it's a technical paper or even just a one pager on something that you did, yes, it gives you an opportunity to sell your technology and promote yourself, sure. But you are actually contributing to the industry. And yeah. as cynical as that some of my statements were, I want to go back and say that you know your application could inspire the next great idea, or it could push somebody else to do better. And I think that, you know, you are contributing to the industry when you present a story of how something was used. And so I, I don't want to completely overlook that either. So I, I think I'd leave everybody with that. No, that's a great point and a great way to close, Matt. And if anyone out there has any questions, you can always hit us up on LinkedIn. If you have a good story or even want to add to what we talked about today, we'd love the engagement. And if you could, please leave a review. If you haven't already, I know we got a lot more downloads than we do reviews. So for everyone out there, if you can take a minute or two, just leave a review, even if it's the five-star button. And again, we appreciate the support. And you know, now that we're past the episode 101, cheers to another 101 episodes because we're going to keep pumping these out. And you know, we got some exciting episodes coming down the pipeline. So with that said, everybody, take care for now. Take, take care. You. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.